good. Uh, I am Zach Elliott. As Mitch said, I have the honor of being a part of V3 with your pastor Jerome and Pastor Mitch. And it, this is super special for me to get to share time with all of you because there is a whole group of people praying for Redeemer City Church and praying for what God is doing right here in Tampa Heights. And this morning, if nothing else, I just want you to know that, that you are sitting in a space, that you are the church in a space, in our city, in a particular time, in this place, that God knew a long time ago that this was going to take place and that you would be here. And as an outsider, I just want to encourage you, we are people who are praying for you, and it's pretty cool to get to see you in the flesh this morning and go, oh, these are the people that we're praying for. This is the church in Tampa Heights, right on the fringe, right on the seam in our city where there is poverty and addiction and racial injustice and all these things that are happening right here. And we we can throw a rock across the street and you are standing in one of these seams in the city of Tampa as it changes, as we win Super Bowls and Stanley Cups and as the economics change and as this neighborhood changes. For some strange reason, God has brought you here right to this seam to be the church. And I just want to encourage you, lean in. It's good to be here this morning. It's good to worship with you. I was over there praying and I was like, this is a good place to be. I feel really safe. I feel really grateful. And I feel really just humbled to be able to kind of fan the flames into what God is already doing. But I want you to know that you're sitting in a chair right here in this time, in this place, and that's not inconsequential. And as Pastor Mitch said, there's a whole bunch of us, people on the West Coast, people in the Midwest, praying for Redeemer City, praying that a hundred more people would come right here so that all of that stuff that we're talking about, the fruit of the gospel, would be visible in Tampa Heights. Not just church services, not just things and online experience, all that stuff, but that the actual fruit of the gospel, what happens in a city as the gospel begins to transform it, that that would take place as economic development and all the other things are happening. That's not my sermon. That's just my... I'm excited about you. That's what I'm excited about. Um, We're going to be in Colossians, so make sure you go to Colossians. I want to read something before we get there, but go to Colossians 1. We'll be in 115. And you got the backdrop of Colossians. This morning, I have the privilege of taking this section from 15, 115 to 127. And essentially, the, Paul's assertion is something you've heard your pastors say, you've heard us say it. The vision is Jesus. The vision is Jesus. And we can say that. We can see it written down. We can write it in our journal. The vision is Jesus. And it can be something casual. It can be something foreign. It can be something strange or churchy. Or it can be the deepest conviction of our bone marrow and our heart and our soul. That the vision is Jesus. And my hope this morning is simply to take Colossians, this little section where it's literally Paul just holding Christ out. And here it is. My, my hope this morning is that your vision would be Jesus. And that if your vision is Jesus, is that he is some historical figure way off in the distance, or he's a religious figure way off in the distance, that's okay. I start there, or many of us start there going, I don't know who he is, but he's there and I've heard about him. My vision is Jesus from a distance. My hope today is that you would be a little closer when we get done. 
you might be sitting here today saying, no, I know when I say my vision is Jesus, I think I'm saying the same thing Paul was saying. And if that's you, I just hope to fan that flame. I want our vision to be Jesus like the vision was Jesus for this strange tension that you'll hear. I'm going to read from Acts before we read from Colossians because it's so striking. Colossians written by Paul. Listen to where Paul was when someone else was having the vision of Jesus and how dramatic the change is. This is from Acts chapter 7, verse 54. It's the stoning of Stephen. Stephen's a man who's testified to who Jesus is. And listen to how the story ends. In Acts 7, 54, it says, When they heard this, when they heard Stephen talk about Jesus, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of saw God's glory and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. His vision was Jesus. It says, at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell to his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. I just wanted you to hear that because I don't know where you are today. I don't know what your vision of Jesus is today. But I will tell you there was a man named Saul who was violently trying to stamp out a heresy about Jesus, the heresy of Jesus. Paul was militantly set against this Jesus that Stephen said, I've got a vision, I see Jesus. I see him. It says he looked up and he saw him in the glory of God. And Paul's a guy who says, I don't know who you see, but I'm going to have you put to death for saying that you see this man. We're about to read Colossians, and you're going to hear what is probably the most eloquent, other than Ephesians, when Paul writes of Jesus in the same kind of way, you're going to hear the most eloquent writing, probably in the history of the world, other than maybe the the book of John, holding out Jesus. Written by the man who stood there, watching Stephen be stoned for saying that he saw Jesus. I just say that this morning to hold in tension how transformational it is when we come face to face with Jesus. And I don't know where you are today, but be ready in season and out. Be ready. Don't harden your heart today if you hear Jesus knocking at the door, revealing himself to you. It doesn't matter where you are. Paul was having people murdered for believing in Jesus. You might say spring break started last night, and if you only knew where I was... My vision can't be Jesus. If you only knew what I held against or what someone held against me, or you only knew what has happened to me as a child, God would never want me as his child. You may be sitting here right here today saying, it sounds nice to talk about my vision is Jesus. But people like me don't say things like that. I want you to know that you're in great company. The man who had people murdered for saying things like that is the man who we're just going to hear his words. Go to Colossians chapter 1. 
verse 15. This is him. This is Paul writing about Jesus into this church that is asking the question, who is he? Is he a heretic? Is he a man? Is he a prophet? Where does he fit in religious and philosophical and world history, this Jesus? Who is he? Paul's answer is this. He says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood on the cross. Once you were alienated from God. And were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. To present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firmed, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious, the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen, amen. How beautiful is that? To go from a man who says, we will kill people who have the name of Jesus on their lips, to saying, in him all things hold together. He's the firstborn from among the dead. And once you, like me, were aliens and enemies of God, but now he's reconciled you. This is a radical transformation in Paul's life and his thinking. And to the point where he says, I've become a slave simply to do this. And Paul is incredibly smart, he's well-traveled, he's well-learned, and he says, I consider all of that rubbish. The only thing I want is to show up in Tampa Heights today via his letter, via the Holy Spirit, via, via continual servants. And Paul's voice continues to go out and he says, my only goal is this, that I could be a slave to hold out to you the word, which is the mystery, the word made flesh, Jesus. That's all I want. That's all I want. And he says, I I consider my sufferings worth it, my loss worth it, everything worth it, so that you might see Jesus. This same Jesus that radically transformed my life. I want you to know him. And I don't want you to know him from a distance. My vision is Jesus out there. I want you to be able to say, my vision is Jesus. My vision is Jesus. 
There was once a day I was here, but now I was blind and now I see. I've seen him face to face, full of glory, full of truth, full of grace. This God who has revealed himself in flesh and I'll never be the same. My vision is Jesus. This is Paul. He said, I've become a slave simply to show up and say that to you. Not a religion, as Pastor Mitch said. He said, Jesus was not trying to create a religious system. Something much deeper is taking place. And Paul wants us to know that today. That the message of Jesus, it's beyond personal forgiveness and private atonement for sins. And I will tell you, that counts for everything, right? That's beautiful. The atonement of our sins, the forgiveness of our sins, that is worth forever and ever and ever praising God and thanking God and saying, you don't count my sins against me, but instead you have adopted me as your child and my sins are as far as the east is from the west. You don't even think of them anymore. That is enough for us to say, I will never stop praising the name of Jesus. And yet Paul, there's a sense in his writing in Colossians that he says, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. What, What God is doing in Christ goes beyond that. And Paul is saying, I'm talking about ultimate reality. I'm talking about the universe. I'm talking about temporal and eternal. I'm talking about imminent and transcendent being woven together in Christ. I'm talking about the haunting of humanity that longs for something that's outside of us, that's beyond us, that we ascribe words to like love. And we can say it's a thing that we all want, which unity, love, peace, these things, but they're always out of our grasp. Paul is saying in Christ These things become visible. They become knowable. And we just sang, I love the song that you sang, that I have confidence that you'll finish what you started. And this morning I want you to know that when you say, my vision is Jesus, what we are confessing is, yes, Jesus died and rose and forgave my sins, but Jesus is God's revelation that he has spoken and he is finishing what he started. And what he says he's doing is setting all things right, making all things new, and the restoration of all things. Everything is being set right in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. And so to the philosophers of the day, to the religious elites of the day, to the people who didn't know anything about what he was talking about, Paul was holding out, your Bible probably says, the supremacy of Christ. And he's saying everything orbits around him. This is God revealing himself and saying, the stories that you tell are echoes of a much greater story. Your myths, your narratives, your conflicts, your longings, they're all echoes from a much deeper story. And Paul's saying, you know him. You've seen him. And what's extraordinary is he calls you his friend. The supremacy of Christ, this God who holds all things together, also says, I want to know what Monday is like for you. Would you tell me? Would you allow me to lift and shoulder the load that you're carrying? This God who's reconciling the temporal and the eternal also wants to know in your heart where there's a wound that seems impossible to heal. And he says, I will heal it. This is what Paul's saying. To get a deeper understanding of the magnitude of who Jesus is, I want to just walk us through, if you can bring these slides up, 
this is the story, really, of the Bible. And so stay with me, because I will tell you, I was in church for a long time, and I had no idea that this is what was happening. I heard a lot growing up, because it was me, I was bad, I got in trouble, thank God for Jesus. And that's true. And I was grateful, and I grew up going, I guess that's the story. And as long as I keep being bad, then I keep going to church, and somebody keeps telling me, it's okay, because Jesus is good, and even when you're bad, he makes you good. True, but not the whole story. The whole story is creation, fall, redemption. The whole story is Genesis to Revelation. The whole story is in the beginning and all things new. And this is really what it looks like in the art. I'll take credit. It was clip art of a flowery thing. But this is the garden. Heaven and earth, right? When we think of heaven, we think of heaven a long way off. We think of heaven in the clouds. In biblical terms, heaven is where God is present. It's God's realm. It's his reality. It's love, joy, peace, patience. It's the realm of God. It's eternal. It's whole. It's perfect. And in the, in the Genesis account, you had, if you, anybody stared at an eclipse, don't raise your hand. You'll be like, yeah, I no, don't tell people. But you know what it is when the things align like that? Imagine this, heaven, earth, perfectly aligned, Garden of Eden. The realm of God, the realm of the transcendent, the invisible, and the realm of the material. The fruit that we eat, the dirt that we touch, both like this, perfect. Shalom, perfect peace. God and humanity dwelling together. That's where the story begins in scripture. And then, next slide, we know what happens next. Those two realms, heaven, the ultimate, and earth, the, our reality that we live in the skin separated because of sin. And so I'll tell you, a lot of us experience this. We experience the fact that we live in our reality, but we think about something ultimate. And it's why sometimes we find ourselves struggling with depression, wrestling with a sense, as you've heard so many people say, C.S. Lewis, I was made for another place. I have a longing, I have a restlessness that's not complete until it finds its rest in him. That's the human experience. The human experience is you live on Bayshore, you get Tom Brady's boat. Nothing seems to do it. I can't ever find what I'm looking for. You too. No satisfaction. Mick Jagger. Like go on and on. Every narrative, every song, every story, every lived experience is us sitting at our job dreaming about the ultimate. And it just seems like we're a little connect, we're just disconnected. It's just like if we could just, then we would experience it. This is human experience since the garden. We had ultimate reality like this. Now we have UT. We have FSU. We have life on Monday. And yet, and that's just the experience that humanity dwelt with. And so God said, hey, I am in the realm of God where it is whole and there is shalom and there is peace. And you are over in your reality and there's brokenness. And all of creation is groaning for that to be set right. Go to the next slide. And in that slide you can see in the previous one the garden stuff was a little bit less. It's hard to see. We know it's there. It's hard to see. Well, in the Old Testament, God says, I'm going to put a space where that ultimate reality kind of comes together, where heaven and earth kind of meet. 
And I'm going to give you a place where you can step once again into the presence of God. But it's going to be a particular place. And so when you went into the temple, it was adorned in particular ways because it was giving a nod to the ultimate, to the, to the perfect creation, to God's realm. And we call that the temple, the tabernacle. Are you with me? This is the whole Old, Old Testament story. The realm of God, the realm of man separated and you went to the temple to get a taste to get some sort of experience, to get some sort of closeness to the presence of God. The problem was that not everybody could go in there. Not everybody had access to it. Now, it was for some, but not for all. And there had to be sacrifice to even come near. You had to offer sacrifice over and over and over again, just so that those who dwell in the reality of brokenness could step near the wholeness of God's realm. And so for the whole Old Testament, this is what was happening. Heaven and earth torn apart. But in the temple, there's a space where we could go and we could meet God. We could know that thing that we are craving and hungering for. Well, human history moves forward. And then something happens. The word becomes flesh. If you want to go to the next slide. And I didn't, you can't make an eye count of Jesus. Like, who is Jesus? So I just took a stained glass window that had some bread and wine and a dove. And that's good symbolism. So we'll go with that. But the book of John starts with, in the beginning was the what? Was the, say louder. Word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. In the beginning was the word. Jesus comes, and this is where the trouble starts for the religious people. Because you've had God's realm and the reality realm of where we dwell torn apart by sin. And the only place holy enough, the only space where you could come and there was a mediation between those two spheres was in the temple. But then Jesus shows up and he says, it's not in the temple. He says, I am. Bread of life. I am light of world. I am living water. I am. And he starts saying, all that stuff that you see on those stained glass of your temples, tents, they didn't have actual stained glass, all that symbolism in the temple, all of it tells me. It points to who I am, to God himself, the word made flesh. And so for this brief period of history, while Jesus was alive on earth, you did not have a temple mediation between heaven and earth reality. You had Christ. And what I've done there with the little flowery drawing is everywhere Christ was, you got a taste of the ultimate, ultimate reality, right? What happened to the lepers that came in contact with God's sphere? What happened to him? Healed. What happened to the dead? This is where we're going to start getting excited. He's going to finish what he started. What happened to the dead who came face to face and touched the ultimate reality in Christ? What happened to them? Rose from the dead. What happened to all of creation as it roared and cavitated and groaned for it to be set right when Jesus touched creation itself? What happened to creation? It was brought still and into perfect order. What you saw when Jesus, not a myth, not an abstraction, not a philosophical idea or an ideal, but Jesus Christ in the flesh walking on our ground, you saw sickness healed, you saw dead raised, you saw earth brought back and shaped into order, and you saw the demonic forces warring against God flee and have to leave. And for a time... In Christ, wherever Christ was, you were seeing heaven kiss earth. 
You were seeing justice and mercy embrace in completion. That's what was happening. That's why religious teachers were saying, I've never seen anybody teach like this. And that's why crowds were flocking after him because they said, we've never seen anything like this happen. We've seen the deepest longings of our heart. Justice, righteousness, wholeness, food, help, lifting of the oppressed, reconciliation of races and Jews and Gentiles. What we're seeing in Christ is remarkable. It's what every one of us dream and long for. Even those who say they don't on the private parts of themselves inside, they say, I long for it all to be set right. And then we see Jesus and we go, it's happening in and around this person of Jesus. But it was limited to that sphere, to that person. You see in how beautiful this is? The vision is Jesus. And then Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the what? Unless that grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It stays here, but if it falls to the ground, what happens? It goes everywhere. And Jesus' disciples didn't understand this because they were like, we kind of like this hanging out with the realm of God right now. No longer a temple in the wheat fields with the Gentiles, tax collectors and sinners. The people hanging out with Jesus were like, this is heaven. And in fact, in the theophany on the Mount of Transfiguration, they were like, let's just hang out here forever because this is heaven on earth. And it was heaven on earth. This is what Jesus said that was so stirring to people. He was saying the kingdom of God is right here, right now. And yet there was a problem because it was limited. It was contained. We see him full of grace, full of truth. The glory of God. Colossians, God chose to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. In Colossians, it says this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Listen closely to this. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. What Paul is saying to philosophers, to religious scholars, to people who had no idea what he was talking about, what he was saying is, Heaven and earth that have been torn apart, God has chosen through his own body, through his death on the cross, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in heaven or things on earth. That's what God is doing. That's why we can say he's going to finish what he started. Go to the next slide. This is where it gets really, we talk about Good Friday, but this is where the mystery that Paul talks about becomes incredible. Because what happens is these spheres are no longer separated, but reconciled. We start to see for the first time the two are woven together. And the only way they are woven together is through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so when Jesus took his place and fulfilled, he said, sacrifice you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. Something was happening. Something needed to take place in order for earth and God, the realm of God and the realm of the material, to be reunited because the earth realm, the Adam realm, was broken. And so Jesus had to go to the cross. Listen to what it says in John chapter 19. This is amazing. 
John chapter 19 says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge in him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. A better translation says that Pilate says, Behold the man. Have you ever said something and not known exactly what you were saying? You're like, I don't even quite get what I'm about to say, but it's like when people, when Tom Brady shows up in Tampa and people say, that's the goat. And they're like, okay. Some of us who are not football people are like, what are you talking about? Greatest of all time. Oh, I get what you're saying. Pilate didn't know what he was saying. He was, there was not a culpability. He was not strategic, but what he was doing was prophetically telling the truth. He said, behold, the man. And I need you to understand this. I need you to stay with me for just a second. You're like, this is heady. We had the last hour of sleep by an hour. I get it. But we get one shot, right? I only get to visit every once in a while. So stay with me. Pilate says, behold, the man. What day of the week was it? We're going to celebrate a good fill-in-the-blank service. What is it? Friday. Friday. It's a fun game. We're going to celebrate good Friday. Friday is the what day of the week? Sixth day of the week. On what day did God rest? Seventh day. Look at what's happening. The Gospel of John is written absolutely brilliantly. Gospel of John starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He's telling a new creation narrative. John is writing a letter saying, all things are being made new in Christ. You're watching it. And because we don't have the depth of biblical understanding from Old Testament to New Testament, we read John and it's beautiful, but we don't understand what John was saying as deeply. And John is saying, in the beginning was the word. You're watching it. This is it. This is the goat. This is what's happening. Jesus is making all things new. It's happening in the flesh. That's why they were so stunned and mesmerized by Jesus. And Jesus arrives in Pilate's audience and Pilate says, behold, the man. And what is happening is we are on the cliff of old creation to new creation. The old Adam is standing right there in front of Pilate, ready to descend into death so that a new creation could rise on the other side. You remember Colossians? He says he's the firstborn from among the who? The dead. Paul is saying firstborn from among the dead. That's who Jesus is. He's the first one of the new creation. Many sons to glory. All creation groaning for this to take place. What is happening? That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying we are seeing it in Jesus. When he stood before Pilate, Pilate had no idea what was happening. He said, behold the man. Behold the Adam. Behold humanity. Behold the whole story up until that point. Behold the man. It's like a two-way mirror. He was looking at Jesus. His vision was Jesus, but he didn't see who Paul saw. Later, Paul says, 
Behold the man, the supremacy of Christ, the old Adam, all of creation. Jesus takes on our sin in the flesh, embodies the whole fallenness of broken man, the whole separation of earth and heaven realm, the whole thing that's been constantly divided. He takes it upon himself, goes to the cross, and is reconciling all things to himself by allowing the old nature of man to be plunged and to be dead and buried. And then he rose again and is the firstborn from among the dead of the new creation. Do you believe that? See, that's why we sing. That's why we show up. I don't care about church. I don't want to go to services. I'm not interested in sitting on plastic chairs. For You know what I mean? That's not why I'm here. That's going to do nothing for Tampa Heights. There's no hope for addiction. There's no hope for racial reconciliation. There's no hope for depression. There's no hope for these things that we cannot find solutions for outside of these walls. And yet the reason we come together is only because of the supremacy of Christ. It's only to be a people who say the old cannot be reconciled to the new, but every one of us beats within our hearts, no matter what creed, race, religion, age, doesn't matter. Everybody on every corner of the world is saying, come on, as Ethiopia descends into civil war, come on. As people are torn apart in their families, what will do it? And Paul says, it's happening. The minute that Jesus before Pilate was declared, behold the man, behold the old Adam. And then he rose again and became firstborn from among the dead. Our vision is Jesus, the firstborn of the new creation, all things being made new. He will finish what he started. That's what's happening in Christ. Let's go to that next PDF slide. Here is the space that we occupy. You've heard Pastor Mitch talk about it as the already and not yet, but I want you to see it more clearly even than just verbally. There is an overlap between the sphere of God and the sphere of man. And it used to be that it was separated and you had to go to the temple to just get a taste of what it might be like if God were to reconcile the two. And then when Jesus was in the flesh, you had to be standing with Jesus to see him drive out a demon or have a miracle take place. You had to be there with him in the flesh. But then something changed when he died and became the firstborn of many. And he says, it's better that I go away because I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to pour myself into you. And you will now be the what of the Holy Spirit? Temple. That space where heaven and earth meet is Christ. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying the mystery is Christ in you, which is the hope of what? Glory. The heaven and earth reunited, reconciled, and he's saying, here's the mystery. Here's the thing that's going to stun you, leave you speechless, cause you to give up your life and become a servant for people you've never met. The thing that it is, is Jesus. That's what he's saying. The mystery is Christ in you. We live in that space between heaven and earth. All of us who are in Christ You are no longer the old. You are a new creation. And if you're a new creation, the old is what? Gone and the new has come. And you go, but why do I still ache in my knees if I play too much golf or I lift something heavy? Why do I still struggle at times with my depression? I want you to know that you are not not a Christian. Hear me clearly. If you are struggling, if you are hurting, if you're encountering brokenness, if you're taking two steps forward and three steps back, guess what? 
You're part, there's a part of the brokenness and a part of the newness of God, and you're, it's commingled in you. You are full rights, a child of God. The old is gone and the new has come. You have been made new in Christ. He is making all things new. Your body just has to catch up. And it will. There will be a day where we follow him and the old is gone. It passes away. And whether we see him face to face without losing our last breath here on earth, I don't know. But what I'm telling you is heaven is you stop breathing in the physical. You start breathing in the presence of God. The two overlap. There will be a moment where you are completely whole in body where we all are. And until then, we walk forward with hope. Knowing that we live right in that space where heaven and earth are reconciled. All things are being made new and we're following in the train of the firstborn. Do you believe that today? See, this is what is so urgent in the church for us to understand is not just ethical sermons, not just pro-social behavior, not just justice causes. That is, that's good, but it is not ultimate, it's not what the Bible is telling us about the person of Jesus and how he is accomplishing what he is accomplishing and what part we play. And I'm urgent this morning that you move at least one quarter of a step from saying, my vision is Jesus, to saying, my vision is Jesus. I see throughout history what God has been doing. I don't say that lightly. Because you hear me and you're like, who's this guy? He visits and he's all excited like a substitute teacher who has no accountability. Sure, get stuff and rile it up. And I get to leave. Yes. I'm excited because of that, but I'm also excited because of this. It's true. And if you're sitting in your chair today and you're like, half of me wants to be excited, half of me kind of wants to be judgmental about this pink shirt wearing guy who's all excited, I'm fine with that. I get it. But I want you to hear from a guy named Jordan Peterson who's honest enough to wrestle with what I just said with some rigor. He's not dismissing the pink shirt wearing excited guy. And he's not quite just being like, yay, don't really get it, but yay. He's wrestling with what it actually means if Paul is telling the truth that all things are being reconciled in Christ and that he's bringing together the transcendent and the imminent. He's going to talk about it as the narrative and the reality. If that's truly happening in Christ, you'll hear what he says. This is one of the smartest guys probably hanging out on our planet today. Can you go to the video? He's wrestling with a guy who's an Orthodox Christian. Because there's still a historical story. And so what you have in the figure of Christ is an actual person who actually lived plus a myth and in some sense, Christ is the union of those two things. The problem is, is I probably believe that, but I don't know. I don't, I'm amazed at my own belief and I don't understand it. Like, because I've seen. Sometimes the objective world and the narrative world touch you know, that's Jungian synchronicity. And I've seen that many times in my own life. And so in some sense, I believe it's undeniable. You know, we have a narrative sense of the world. For me, that's been the world of morality. That's the world that tells us how to act. It's real. Like, we treat it like it's real. It's not the objective world. But the narrative and the objective world touch. And the ultimate example of that, in principle, is supposed to be Christ. But I don't know what to, that seems to me oddly plausible.
Yeah. Well, but I still don't know what to make of it. It's too, partly because it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed it. You can pause. Better because that. there's still a history. Pretty awesome that he was vulnerable enough to have that conversation. He would say that he doesn't know if he's a Christian or not. He's he he is like on his lips is speaking the realities of the Christian faith, but he himself is like you heard him. I don't know, and I love his honesty. He said, "To be honest, I believe it, but I'm kind of surprised at my own belief." And he says, "I see it." And he, whether it's Jungian synchronicity, whether it's the objective in the narrative, all the things that he's talking about, he says, we see it over and over. All of us feel it. And he says, so part of me believes it and goes that it happened. And it didn't happen in a figure or a mythological figure. It happened when the word took on flesh and you see Jesus in the flesh, which is why Paul's insistent that he came in the flesh, because this has happened. Because without the resurrection, we would be pitied above all. There's no hope. But if there is a resurrection, then we're stuck in the same place with Jordan Peterson. And he says, I don't know what I would do if I fully believed that. And his words were, it's too terrifying to even imagine what would happen if that were true. We talk about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what we're talking about. The fear of the Lord that says, God, if you have done this, in Christ, then you're a man of your word. And what you said in the beginning, when things were perfectly set right and God and man were perfectly dwelling, and all of us have the lived experience of that being ripped apart, and all of us have the longing that it would be somehow set right, if what you are saying is true, is that only in Christ is it ever possible that the narrative and the objective, the transcendent the, and the imminent, kiss and touch, but if that has happened, if Christ rose from the dead, then he has done it. Then all things are being made new. Then the old order of things is passing away. Then we are a part of a new creation. And Jesus is Lord. I think Paul resolved what Jordan Peterson's about to resolve. And I think it's why Paul joins Stephen. And it's why Paul and Stephen this morning as a great cloud of witnesses are drawing pretty near to us watching as heaven watches going. Yeah. When their vision becomes Jesus. That's why Stephen said, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't have eyes to see. They don't have ears to hear. They don't have hearts to understand. And Stephen said, that's okay. All they know to do is to tear down right now. But there will be a day where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that well, they will see. And so Stephen says, please forgive them for what they're about to do. Because when they see, when their vision becomes Jesus... I just am going to close with prayer. And I want to invite you, wherever you are, if you're in Jordan Peterson's space, 
I'm with you. I get it. Talk to somebody that you're sitting with. Come see one of your pastors or one of the people in the church, somebody sitting next to you and just go, I, I know. If you have confessed that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is Lord, then this morning I want you to, I want you to be encouraged to do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of what God has done in Christ. Do not be ashamed to say, my vision is Jesus. And follow after the the Apostle Paul who said, all the rest of it, all the degrees, all the divinity, all the things, it's good and it's great learning. But I will tell you this, the central thing, the thing that you must grasp is who Jesus is in the story of what God is doing in the world. And I want you to wrap your arms around him and love him back for the fact that he has begun this great work of the new creation. And I want you to trust him completely that he will finish what he started. And I want you to live every breath of your days in that strange space where heaven and earth overlap and the beautiful fruit of the kingdom of God is growing up right next to the brokenness of our world. And every, all people can do is taste and see and give glory to the God who has set that whole thing in motion. May it be that Redeemer City is a place filled with people, that really we are just a people whose vision is Jesus. And they say everything goes simple, complex, simple. My hope today is through all the complexity of what we just said. I hope that you came in going, my vision is Jesus, and that we went on that journey together, and you're leaving, and there's a twinkle in your eye, and you're going, my vision is Jesus. And when you say it, you see that beautiful sun, that solar eclipse, that thing that is too much to look at. Let's pray. Jesus, you are worthy of all of our praise and all of our honor and all of our glory. And God, thank you for the humility of honest people who confess how high your thoughts are and how your ways are not our ways and yet you allow us to taste and to see and those of us who doubt you allow us to touch you and to hold on to you and to witness the newness of all things, the resurrection of the dead, the glory of God, the new creation. This morning, we praise you for it. We praise you for this letter inspired by the Spirit. We praise you for your Spirit today, giving wisdom and revelation to open our eyes. I pray today, God, that many of us would see clearly who you are and that we would be worshipers, spirit and in truth. God, not about place, not about temples, not about tents, but here in the temple that is always present with us, God, continual praise. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. Be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.